Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard. In today's episode, we talk about, as usual, a lot of different things. I start off uh, recounting my trip to Costa Rica and some of the great things I've learned about brotherhood of the martial arts. And I share a few anecdotes from my retreat there, as well as uh, Robert's upcoming trip, where he's going to be at the Hero Academy in Tamarindo. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And uh, afterwards, I'm not sure how we got into it, but we got into stare downs. And uh, we go into quite a bit the uh, psychology behind stare downs, what to do, what not to do. And uh, with that, the advantage, ultimately, that I think you gain by playing the stare down game versus not playing it. We then moved on uh, talking about language. Uh, we went one part into troubling aspect of modern society, which is trying to censor everybody for having wrong think, if you will. But then we transitioned that into jujitsu language, uh, going into how not having like a set list of names for all these techniques makes it difficult to communicate with different jujitsu tribes. In particular, how 10th Planet has been very successful in establishing their own jiu-jitsu language. Because part of what makes language very important is your vocabulary will determine your thoughts. And uh, if you don't have the right vocabulary, you can't express yourself properly. You might not even have the, the means of doing so because you lack the vocabulary. So we get into that, and we, of course, we talk about a few other things. It was a very fun conversation, as usual, with Robert. So go ahead and tune in, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get started, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is bjjretreat.com. bjjretreat.com is your destination to vacation destinations with yours truly. I've been hosting retreats now, and uh, we j I just finished one in April in Costa Rica. The next one I have planned will be at the end of July, early August in Las Vegas. This one's a lot of fun for me because I do it actually from my home, and I uh, have some new knickknacks that was going to make uh, being in my house a bit funner. Um, we have a swim spa coming in. Of course, we have the sauna and a, a lot of the recovery tools. We have a 30 by 18 section of mats. We got guest bedrooms, so you can bunk with me. You can stay in my place. You can stay in the strip. You know, it's up to you. We will have approximately about 15 hours of training time going over uh, this time we're going to go over more wrestling stuff so underhooks front headlocks switches i always throw in some kimura trap because i have to <laughs> but it's going to be a good well-rounded so even if you've done one of my camps before i haven't taught this particular curriculum before so it's going to be a lot of fun and like always we record everything so afterwards you'll have all the videos lesson plans so you'll be able to review it Right now, I think we have a, a little bit less than a week left where we're doing the early bird where you get 30% off. So if you're, gonna, if you're thinking about doing it, now's the time to pull the trigger. Just visit bjjretreat.com. You don't need any coupons or anything like that. It's already applied on the checkout uh, when you go to the order page. Just go to bjjretreat.com and register today. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. How many episodes now, Dave? I think we're in 51. All right, not bad. Somewhere not bad. that. It's been a minute now. It's been, what, two weeks since we yeah, started? Yeah, well, again, we've been different All places. Different place, yeah. I just came back recently from Costa Rica. Got to do the, the Hero BJJ Academy retreat and, uh, with Ron. And Rob's going to be coming up there. I think you're in the next few weeks, right? Coming up uh, 27th of May, so yeah, a couple of weeks. Nice. I'm, I'm actually, excited, yeah. I'm actually going to be in Costa Rica at the same time. Oh, no I'm going to be, uh, because I was supposed to go with Jamie, my girlfriend, yeah. and last minute she had to cancel okay. for work, but she still wanted to go, so yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll just, we'll go again, so yeah. but this time I'll just be going for vacation. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I know you've done them, but like, it's a lot more work than you, you realize running the camp. Yeah. Because I was teaching, I taught more this time than I did last time. Because I was like, 
maybe 15, 16 hours on a mat. And then I taught a bunch of private lessons. It was like one day I taught for seven hours straight. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so that's brutal. People think, oh, that I you know because most people that work at nine to five, like oh, I do that every day. But here's the thing, man when you're teaching, you're 100% immersed, engaged, talking, focused. It does something to your brain. It's not just physically exhausting, it's mentally exhausting. People don't be like, it's like seven hours. It's like, it's worse than seven hours of driving. It's, it's, I mean, cause I've done that, that much teaching. It kills you. Like you're it's, done it's, for the day after. It's a lot, that. especially when you're in Costa Rica and the humidity is like 90%. And, it's oh, like and you want to go to the beach and now you don't have the energy. Well, it's funny because we have a day where we do the sunset cruise, right? Yeah. I don't know if you did it the last time you were there. Yeah. yeah. But, well, um, and they're like, oh, uh, we're going to get to go to the beach again. I'm like, this is my first time to the beach. And, the, and there's the last day of the camp. Are you serious? I've been on the mats the whole time. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's fortunate, but uh, it, it was a lot of fun this time around, too. And it was interesting because whenever I do these camps, they're all different people that I've never met before. And it's so cool how the martial arts has that, that family, that brotherhood, if you will, because everybody got along like day one. Yeah. And, People were hanging out, doing yeah. groups. And there was one thing that really struck me, which is kind of funny. So um, we had an adventure day. Because my camp was actually scheduled for eight days by accident. We, when me and Ron were doing the scheduling, we were supposed to do a week. And then when we put it, like, oh, this is actually eight days. So we're like, okay, we'll put the day in the middle with no, like, no training. And we'll just let people yeah. you know, do whatever they want. So we had a group of uh, like 11 of them decided, you know what, we'll go to the mountains and do the hiking and zip lining all that so we had two other people on the bus that weren't part of the trip they were just you know other people touristing but they got along with us got along with us right away one of them they were both from new york and uh one of them was like a special agent something like that was kind of cool he was terrified of heights and there was somebody else uh super white belt chris shout out he's also terrified of heights so they two formed together and like, okay, the first activity is zip lining. Yeah. You know? So we're like, oh, hopefully these guys can make it. And they did fine. They started doing the zip lining. But then at a certain point, there was like a giant swing, like a Tarzan rope. Yeah. And they were just terrified. And they were stuck on that platform for like a good half hour, 45 minutes until somebody was able to coax them to get out. But yeah. we're all waiting, like, damn, Chris isn't here yet. It's like, it's going to be a long day because the guy's like, there's no way backwards. Yeah. You can only go forwards yeah, and we yeah. can't extract them any other way. So anyhow, they got through. And then the, the other guy, he's like, hey, I got to thank you, man. Your group was so supportive and awesome yeah. that it made this a lot easier because I was really stressed out. You know, yeah. my wife kind of forced me to do this. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's, it's obvious. I can tell that you guys had like a, a long friendship, like for years, because how close yeah. you guys are. I was like, I just met these guys three days ago. Yeah. He's like, what? <laughs> it's just the kind of bond that we have to the martial arts. We've all struggled and suffered in the same way. So we know like you're in a gang sort of like you see It that? is. Yeah. And you go halfway across the world and you can talk to people like you've known them for years. I've noticed that like everywhere I go, I get the feeling that I'm talking to people that I've known my whole life. Yeah. You know, it's very, very... I mean, I don't know like, if, if other endeavors are like that, like music or any other kind of martial art or arts in general. I can't speak. But I do feel that bond with, with you know, grappling jiu-jitsu. I, everywhere I go, it's the same. Like, it's the same, like, yeah, exactly, hanging out. And anyone who saw us interacting would swear that we've known each other for a decade. And we just met 10 minutes ago. Yeah. No, that's what I find amazing, the kind of rapport you can develop right away. And we're still chatting with each other now, yeah. you know, in a little WhatsApp group. And we have people poking jokes at each other. Um, and we made a few connections along the way too. One of the guys uh, had put me in contact with Henry Akins. Okay. I didn't realize Henry lives here in, in Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah, he, I know he came here a few times, but it turns out he moved here. But he moved here during the pandemic, so it kind of <laughs> not a great timing as far as like yeah. he hasn't been much. So he came over the, the house the other day. Super nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. I always enjoy doing these camps. Yeah, I've only been to Costa Rica once at Hero Academy, going yeah. back into the month now. And I'm excited, man. Like, it's, um, it's a beautiful place. It's very chill. Like, normally Latin American, having grown up in Brazil, you're always worried about crime. Like, it is an issue. There's no, there are very few places in Latin America where you're not going to be in danger. Yeah. Right? Um, 
I never felt in danger in Costa Rica, man. No, like, you know, yeah. you're having grown up, like, I have, like, the, like these radars, like, okay, like, you kind of sense this is a hostile environment, watch your wallet, watch your phone, kind of thing. In Costa Rica, I never got any of that. Like, I always yeah. felt, you see the poverty, you see, but, like, I think that they felt, I mean, Thailand is like that. Like, yes. they're so welcoming to tourists, like, they understand that their economy needs us, right? So, they treat us like kings. I got that similar feel in Costa Rica. They were so friendly towards tourists. I think they know better not to rob us because that screws their economy. I don't well, know if they if they fully understand, but that's what they're doing. They're way making us welcome and make you want to go back because you always feel safe. Well, for sure. I actually, I just realized that Costa Rica is a country I've visited the most in the world besides living in the U.S. I've yeah. been there like five or six times. Okay. I think. Because I, when, when Bodog fight was going on, they did a lot of events in Costa Rica. and I used, They used to have a place... Uh, an event called Costa Rica Fights for MMA. Yeah. So we went there a bunch of times. So I've been there in all parts of Costa Rica pretty much. Never felt endangered. Yeah. Safe. And especially where Hero is yeah. in Tamarindo. It has that kind of Thailand vibe. You're in a beach town and you can just, it's like dirt roads. You just walk around everywhere. Very chill. There's like virtually no crime. The only thing you see out there that's like slightly sketchy would be if you're walking around the beach at night, you're going to have people asking, hey, you want some marijuana? You want some blow? Something like that. But not aggressive. Right? So yeah, but here's the thing. Like, if you're a tourist, like, I think I imagine half, at least half a tourist there want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like, like, oh, my God, you offered me some weed. I'm like, pretty much half the tourists are probably smoke weed. Yeah. At least, right? If not more. And... You know, since it's not legal there, I'm pretty sure it's not legal. It's not legal. They, I mean, I, I imagine even like the cops are probably like, well, you actually, know, get that, away with that it. was the one heads up, Ryan. He said, yeah. "Don't get it from the street because it's the one thing the cops will look to catch you on." Really? Yeah. So I wonder if they like if they turn a blind eye because again, it kind of helps them if there's that money flooding into the economy. Yeah, he said, "There's other ways to get it." Yeah. Don't buy it in the streets. Okay. Yeah. So if you're yeah. going, just be careful with that. Yeah. But uh, oh yeah, food's good there. How many? Two classes a day. Two classes a day. I was doing one class in the morning, ten uh, around nine ten a.m. for an hour and a half, and then one in the evening yeah. for an hour and a half. And then in between, I was doing private lessons. We had one day where I did one long class, like a two and a half hours. So we had the evening open. But uh, it was a good pace. I would just tell you, if you're going there, stay hydrated. I had one gentleman, uh, Ricardo. He, during the private lesson, his abs started cramping individually, which I've never seen before. Like, the left ab just went boom. Yeah. And then the other one went pop, popped out. I was like, holy crap. Wow, I've heard of that. <laughs> I've never seen it before. I've seen legs cramp plenty, you know. Yeah. He was just cramping everywhere. And then his inner thigh cramped. Hydration. And- Hydration and it's not just water. You you need the electrolytes. electrolytes. Yeah. So they have a pedia light there that's actually really good. So it's like, I, I rarely drink sports drinks because I like drinking just water. Yeah, but you need it. But yeah. I was there. I'm like I was taking one every day. I'm like, otherwise you're gonna just. It's just, good to know. Yeah, you're just sweating because so it's much. getting summer. It's close to summer there. It's oh really yeah. Hot. yeah, no, it's hot. It's very humid, especially us. We're coming from very dry climate. Yeah, there's a total opposite. It's like super wet. So like. Yeah. You're just sweating nonstop. No, man, I'm uh, I'm excited, man. I, I, I like to teach, but like, there's something about teaching that that long that kind of kills you. But I, I'm gonna try to make some time for the, for the beach. And uh, last time I had a lot of fun fishing there, and I'd be able to train some too. Like I, I like training with new people. I'm always training with like the same people over and over. Sometimes it's it's a nice little change, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Dave, what else is going on, man? We had Floyd Mayweather had his cap stolen by one of the brothers. Which one? I can't even keep up. I think it was Jake, the, or what's the other one? Logan. Logan. I'm not sure which one. I, thought, I would imagine Jake, right? Yeah, it's like, like it's a pretty lame move to walk in with face off with a hat. There, you got, you got, you got to be. I mean, you got to foresee these things, you know. But like, like, you know, I saw one of the girls do this too, yeah. where she was wearing a cap. It was a UFC. Yeah. And I, I saw the strategic value in it because some dudes want to go like lip to lip. Which, yeah, it's just always weird to if be you like, are cap, you going to kiss me? What are you going to do, yeah, man? If you have the cap, it kind of creates a little buffer. Yeah, it's like, okay, you can't get that close. <laughs> the cap's yeah. going to get in the way. Yeah. I always found that strange. Like, the whole, like, 
I understand you're trying to show you're not scared of the guy, so I'm going to go right up into your grill and look at you. But, like, at a certain point, you start getting homoerotic. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Right. I know, because you're, like, very close to kissing the guy. And I, that happened once where I saw a video. It was, like, I don't know if it was YouTube or, like, Instagram, whatever it was. But the guy actually got close, close, and he did, like, you know, just get to kiss him. And then the other guy just clocked him. Oh, that was in Pride, I think. Yeah, yeah. he just clocked him. Like, he just dropped him. Like, yeah, oh, I think it was, a, it was a Japanese guy, and it was that big English guy, if I remember correctly. I don't remember. I remember he dropped. I was like, hey, man, you earned that. <laughs> oh, no. Heath Herring. Heath Herring. I think, yes, it was Heath, Heath Herring. Herring. Right, yeah, the right. guy tried to get cute with him. He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, that's, I can never. I, I'm, I've always done the, the stare down. A lot of people don't like to do it. And I know it doesn't necessarily make you feel. Sh- Here's the thing about that stare down that people don't get. Because I've had it done to me, and I realize what it does. You're looking for weakness in your opponent, yep. right? And the thing is, it's not hard to stare someone. It's not that hard, no. right? <clears throat> but you're, if you sense anything, it doesn't mean the person that is looking down or away is scared, but sometimes it does something to your own self-esteem. So maybe you are scared, and then you see that person looking down or away, and you go, oh, I feel great. I'm not, I, I, I might have told this story here already. It's possible. We've talked about everything under the sun on this podcast. <laughs> but I remember like Brazilian Nationals 2004. I won my weight class in the open that year, right? And I had 10 fights one day. I won, like, I think all of them by submission except this one. It was a semifinal. 10 fights in one day. Good yeah, Lord. Five in my weight class, five in the open. And I beat some big names that day, too. So it was like, a, it was like the week before I got my black belt. It was right before I won my black belt. We won. Uh, Braza was like three points behind BTT. And because I won the open, it was the last fight of the night. We won the whole tournament. So it was like a big day, right? But the guy beating the semifinal, I'm not going to mention his name, but like he, he won two weight classes above, I believe, or one weight class above. Like he's a big name. And what happened was I could see I, – I, I had won my weight class, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I won my weight class. I'm third in the open, like podium syndrome. You know, I'm on the podium twice. Like yeah. not a bad result. I was happy. I was sort of accepting the fact that I was going to lose this guy because he was heavier than me. He was very good. And he had won his weight class. Pretty sure he did. And I'm thinking – probably gonna lose my luck was i had a hoodie on so he couldn't really see my facial expressions i was shitting my pants i was sort of i was very tired from my previous match too and i could see this guy he's kind of like checking me out and he's looking me over right and he's going like you measuring me up like head to toe and i can see wait a second like he couldn't quite see me as well as i could see him right and i can see that this guy was nervous too and i can't explain what it did to me david it did something to my confidence once i realized that he was also nervous it shot my confidence. I, I, was about, I was walking in there to lose in my head. In the back of my mind, I wasn't going to win. But it did something to my confidence, seeing that he was as nervous as I was. And then I became very confident, right? So I think the stare down does serve a purpose to not to let your opponent gain any more confidence. I think that's what's going on there. It's not so much that you're scared. Because Sakurab always looked away. And I don't think he was scared. But I think that unwillingly, he might have been boosting his opponent's resolve a little bit or at least his, his self-esteem and confidence because yeah. it's shaken you know you're doubt as a fighter I don't care how experienced you are and i've had like very successful like champions admit this to me like everyone's scared yeah there's no one in there who's not scared everyone's doubting am i gonna win is this guy better than me did he train harder like what's gonna happen everyone is doubting themselves anything that makes you feel a little bit better is a lot yeah you know? it's a game of inches for sure and uh yeah, some famous fighters never looked at people like Fedor. Always looked yeah. down, never stared down. So, like you're, you're right. It doesn't mean like, oh, you're, you're out, you know. Yeah. But there is something like if I'm staring at you and you're staring at me, and then you look down. It's like, oof, you feel better. Yeah, you feel better. Yeah. But I think this also is just a more. There's also like a primitive connection to it because in the animal kingdom, it's the same thing. Yeah. If you stare a wolf down, oh, you better get ready. <laughs> It's he, coming at you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sign of aggression for most animals, yeah. you know, if you stare at them, right? So I think we're no different, you know? So if you lock eyes with somebody and you look away, yeah, that's why they tell you, like, if you're going to stare someone down, never look back. If you don't want to play the yeah. game, just look down. Yeah. Because but even then, I feel it's kind of like with a, they tell you with a silverback gorilla, gorilla, it's the same thing. They say, never look them in the eyes because that's a challenge. So you always look down. But if I'm looking down and you're the silverback, you see me as submissive. Yeah. Right? So I would see that as the guy who's trying to engage in the stare down. The guy won't even engage with me. He's afraid to play the game to begin with. Yes. You know, so there is definitely a psychological component to it. That I think it's a point. I always tell all my fighters, look right through that fucker. You yeah, know, like, it's very, very animal, man. 
And you yeah. look him dead in the eye, too. Not like his cheek, not his nose. Yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. like dead in the eye. And I remember the first time someone did that to me. It was Roger, man. He was staring me. Like, right before. And Jiu-Jitsu, no one does that. No one ever done that to me before. And he did. He's like staring me like, holy shit, this guy's serious, man. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, it was after the match that I realized, like, how serious. This is the final of the World Championships. Like, this is serious. Yeah. But in my head, it's like, oh, we're doing jujitsu. You know, I made it to the finals. Like, and then you can see that there was, like, an intensity there that I was, it was a lesson, too. It was like, oh, man, this is serious shit here. Like, this guy will hurt me if he has to, to win. Yes. And he would, and I would, too. Like, you know, it's like, it is serious. But like, if I have to, you know, almost kill you to win, I don't want to kill anyone. But, like, if I have to break your arm, leg, or anything, like, to win, I'm going to do it. And it's terrible, but that's the reality of combat. And I think that the eye contact, as primal as it is, it's, we don't like to admit this animal side, but they're deep down, man, there's, there's an animal in there. Man. 100%. You can, and we just don't like to talk about it because it's like politically incorrect or whatever. It's, you know, we're in denial about it. We're smarter than that. I'm like, eh, just watch your own behavior, man. Yeah. Watch it closely. <laughs> You're way more chimp than you'd like to admit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We just have a lot of vocabulary. A lot of games, but. <laughs> Like yeah. behind everything, it's yeah. like a primitive impulse yeah. that they get you going. You yeah. know? We learn so, how to talk. That was it. You know. Yeah, but I do agree the intent. I think that's the other benefit that yeah. you get from staring someone in the eyes. Yeah. You kind of get a measure of somebody yeah. when you when you look at them. You know, and that confidence that you said you gained is it reminded me of something that I would do in competitions when I would be wrestling somebody or fighting them or grappling, whatever it was. I would listen for the breathing. And yeah. When I hear someone, <laughs> yes, I'm like, okay, I got you. Yeah. Because I always felt like yeah. it, it kind of humanizes them, right? Yes. If, if you were fighting somebody for like five minutes and they're like not breathing at all, time, yeah. like, oh shit, like this guy's, this guy's a robot. Yeah. yeah, he's got a lot in the tank, you know, but like if he's breathing hard and you know, or if he's breathing, in my mind, they were always breathing harder than me. Yeah. All right. But it probably was the same or not. But like, as long as you hear that, there's a little confidence. But it's like, okay, he's tired too. You know what? The, what like my favorite is like right when you're like you're struggling to pass someone's guard, and it's that battle that goes on for like two or three minutes trying to pass, and you finally pass, and you hear them go, <sighs> "Yeah, they're like, oh, I got you. It's, it's over." over. Yeah. And and it's so funny because you do it unconsciously. You, everyone does it. You probably I, I don't think I've ever caught myself doing, it, but I'm sure I do it too because I'm not aware of it. Yeah. But like I've even told myself in the past, like man, you gotta be more aware of how you breathe, and not just your facial expressions too. Mid grappling, like you look like you're suffering, you don't want to show that, right? Because that gives them. He's about to break, and then he sees you breaking, he keeps going. Yeah, right. This thing is so much more psychological than people think, because it's this hyper focus on technique, which is to me a third of the equation. It's super important. I'm not yeah. denying that third, but I, it's almost like there's a laser like focus on that when it comes to the, the grappling community, and there's very, I mean, conditioning. Everyone accepts it as well. Right, but it's not. There's not too much focus on what we think about. It. People understand it's important, but when it comes to all this, the mindset, like the poker face, the confidence, the, the self-esteem that you build, like to me, that's a probably bigger number in the equation. Because yeah. when I look at champ champions, let's say jujitsu, let's just stick to jujitsu. You look at someone like everyone from Jacare to Rafael Mendes to Mike Mutsumesi to Lucas. I mean, you name your champion, right? How similar are they technically? Mm-hmm. Not at all. They're completely different, right? You see some guys are similar. Okay, Paulo Miao is identical to Jean Miao. Okay, you know, in every way. They, they you know, they're not only, two, they grapple like twins. Yeah, they have the same style, right? Or even Mutsumets that have a very similar style to them. But there's an enormous, even like amongst the same weight classes, like Bruno Malfacini and Mike Mutsumets are completely different. There, there's a huge variety of like technical expertises, right? And they're all champions. So to me, the common denominator cannot be the technique. Because you get this, 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 uh, the hype, it creates an idea. It creates the myth that this style is the dominant one, right? Because there's so much like Instagram on and the algorithm just shoots shit through the roof. And people have the impression that this is the best method, right? Because look at these guys are all winning. And then when you look at champions and you look at actually the facts and you forget the hype and you forget the algorithm, you look at what's happened in the broader picture, you see that people have a variety of styles and they're all successful. So to me, the common denominator is cannot be the technique. Yeah. What's, what did they have in common? Because their techniques are completely different, how they grapple. It has to be the mindset. Like, what is it that makes you not quit when the time comes for you to quit? Like, there's a, you know, there's a choice. Are you going to quit? Are you going to go hard? What are you going to do? And, like, some people fold. Some people keep going. And I, I've seen this, like, so much. I don't know if there's a method to change that. But to me, that's to be, I think that's the biggest number in the equation, man. Like, the more I think about it, I don't think that there's a way to, I don't know if there's a way to fix it or change it. You can improve on it, but... 
it's a very personal question. Like, because you've seen self boycott. How many times have you seen that? Yeah. You know, people that are phenomenal on the mats and they just like when the time comes, they're just like, I'm not good enough to do this. And they talk the talk and they train the train. Like they they they're there, man. Like they 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 do everything correctly. And when the time comes, something happens. It's something way in there, man. And I don't know if it can or can't be fixed. It can be improved on, I suppose, but yeah. Yeah, that's why they call it like or as Masfield all called it, game bread, right? He even got himself a tattoo on his neck for that. But I I think it's something that's developed, but it's tricky to, to teach it, right? It's kind of like, I can't teach you humility by reading you a textbook. Yeah. You have to learn humility the hard way. Yes. Right? I yes. can't teach you how to be tough by telling you, oh, this is what a tough guy does. Yeah. You know, I got to put you through what tough people go through, yeah. and you have to get through it, yeah. you know? So you have to earn it. It's, it's funny, because I tell my profile all the time, like, I can solve a lot of your problems if you train martial arts. Yeah. Like, oh, but I don't want to get hurt. I'm like, well, it kind of comes with the territory, you know, like because I can't tell you these things. And like, oh, I understand it because everybody then would be, you know, humble, tough. All that. It was easy to learn those yeah. lessons, but you have to go through the struggle or that physical endeavor, and then you learn inherently how to be tough because you did what tough people do. Yeah. Or you learn humility because you've been humble, and now you, oh, you get a different perspective. So. I think with when it comes to the competition mindset, if you're sheltered for a very long time from challenging yourself, then you develop this fear. A lot of people are just scared of yeah. finding out something, right? And it's like an insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, versus, or some people just, they're just always insecure. And that's, that's a lot of people nowadays. And I think... The whole social media thing doesn't make things easier because you see so many studs and incredible men and women out there. And then you look at yourself. And most of us usually look at ourselves worse than we are, right? Yeah. Like especially competitors. I know whenever you compete, if you judge your own performance, it's just like, oh, I did shit. You know? Oh, I can't watch my matches. Yeah. It gives me anxiety. Yeah. I cannot watch myself grapple. But you, you always think you did worse than you did. Yeah. And like, what's like, if a fighter loses, the first thing they're going to tell you, I'm sorry. Like, no, 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 what are you sorry for? It? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But like, everybody judges himself harder. You know, we have that inner judge in ourselves that's always like critiquing everything that we though. do. It's you good in that, a way, maybe. but it, like, in moderation, right? Oh, I, I always say this like, you want anxiety over the future. You never want anxiety over the past. The past yeah, is a lesson. You can only learn from There's absolutely nothing else that's good for you. It's just, it's like, it's like dead weight you're carrying. Gotta get rid of it. Anxiety of the future is good if it's channeled if you use it in a positive way to create right as long as you're not just like oh fuck what's going to happen to the world economy tomorrow and you sit on your ass all day and do nothing about it but if you have that anxiety and you're making moves to prepare yourself for you know future great depression or whatever yeah that's a good anxiety you have actually i'm convinced that nature put that there for a reason yep. i don't think it's there for no reason it's like get prepared motherfucker like shit's about to hit the fan yeah we're about to starve like we're out of game what are you going to do so you want that anxiety am i going to be able to find something to eat tomorrow it makes you try hard. It makes you wake up early in the morning to go get, you know, kill an animal. If that's what you have to do. Um, where the anxiety of the past is what I feel most of us suffer from. Like, we just, it's hard for people to let go of it. Like, I, I know, like, things that I've done in the past or, like, mistakes that I've made that haunt me. And I'm like, fuck, man, like, you just got to let that go. Yeah. You know? And, like, I think I've been better over the years. But, like, it does, I think we all do that. Like, you just hold on to things. They're just, it's just dead weight. There's nothing you can do about it. I think what... That's a very good point you brought. I haven't heard it phrased like that. I like that a lot. And I think the anxiety that you have over the past, or in general, everybody does, is something that's unresolved. Yeah. Right? So, like, something that bothered you that you did in your, pa- in your past, and you haven't really confronted fully what is it that bothered you about it, like, or what you could have done better. What was the true learning lesson yeah. that you could have got from it? And... Our brains don't like patterns or problems that are not solved. That's why, like, you give someone like a paradox. It's like, it's like, what the hell? Like, yes. how do you solve this thing? Yeah, you know. I, like, I heard this one, which is funny. And he goes, "Okay, answer this question: yes or no." Is the next word that you're gonna? You have to say yes or no. Is the next word that you're gonna say is no? And then it's like. No, yeah, it messes yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah because there's right. no right way to answer. It's a tricky question. Right, yeah. right. So we don't like those type of lingering things in our yeah. head. 
So I think when you have stuff in your past that like it like haunts you, yeah. it's like you haven't fixed it yet, yeah. right? And when they're trivial, it's not a big deal. But like people who have like massive like chronic problems, I think they tend to subdue that with drugs, alcohol, crazy activities. Yeah, they try to dull that, but it's still there. You know, like it's not tackled. Yes. Yeah, those problems don't go away. Like they and they tend to manifest in different ways. You know, like they'll, like I mean, we're getting a little in the weeds, but there's people who manifest like physical pain from emotional stress. Yeah. And uh, there was a study that was interesting that in car accidents here in the U.S., people usually experience like whiplash and back pain and neck pain. But in other countries, they experience pain in the ankle, and, you know, in their legs. Interesting. But it's like a, so they're trying to say it's the same Trump traumatic incident, but we're expressing pain differently. And the, the idea was perhaps it's not all actually physical, but it's just mental. Like we deal with high stress activities by yeah. giving yourself pain in different areas. Like yeah. From oxygen deprivation and whatnot. So moral of the story is like, you have to, Ask yourself those hard questions, do the inner reflection, and figure out what is it about this thing that's not letting me let go? Because that is the analogy. You're holding on to it. Right? Like that stress or that anger or the, the sadness that keeps you up at night or whatever. That's something that you're holding on to. It's like you yeah. grab, you're holding a knife in your back. You know, it's like yeah. and, and it's it's um, you know, and sometimes it's like you're not forgiving yourself. Like you've mm-hmm. done something wrong. It's like you have to forgive yourself. And it depends on what level of conscience you have, I guess, because if you're a sociopath, it's almost like a biological advantage <laughs> because you don't feel any guilt. You just can do it again. And it benefits you. Yeah. That's what a sociopath does. He smiles at you, give me your money. He steals from you, right, because you trust him. And then they, they take that, they do that to you, whatever, and they can do it again to the next person because there's no guilt, yeah. right? So I think that, you know, sociopath might be a biological advantage in terms of how, you, how well you do in the world, Dep- depending on what you mean by success, of course. Um, but, like, I think that a lot of this is, like, not the inability to forgive ourselves over things we've done in the past or mistakes we've made or things that we keep thinking, oh, we should have done this different, I should have done this, I should have done that, right? And this is what I tell myself. It doesn't work that well, but it works a little bit. I did what I thought at the time was the best thing to do. Therefore, I shouldn't regret it, right? At that time, I, it's not like I wanted to choose the wrong thing to do. I wanted to do what I felt was the best thing for that circumstance, for, those, for that particular problem or issue. And that kind of helps a little bit with, okay, I, you know, I'm not Captain Hind- I can't, you can't go back and go, I should have done this. I should have done that. that doesn't help you, yeah. right? So you just got to let go of it and use that as a lesson. I always try to say this to my students. When you lose a tournament, it's on you. You can do two things. You can blame the referee for being Brazilian. You can do that. <laughs> sure you can. Of course you can. Blame the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the master slippery. Blame the weather. Blame the. You can do all these things, right? How much progress do you make? Yeah. Zero. Or you can get that anxiety, that, 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 that. That frustration is like, break it down, analyze it. Like, what did I do wrong that I can do better in the future so I don't repeat this mistake, right? But it's, it's all you can do. It's very easy to say. It's, for some reason, it's, I feel like even myself, as much as I say this, I, I find myself doing, not following my own advice. It's not an easy thing to incorporate into your behavior. And it's not just for yourself that you have to forgive. Because some people get wronged by somebody, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh. And someone would tell you, oh, you need to forgive them. Like, oh, I can't, right? But like, I always say, like, the forgiveness is not for them. It's for you, right? If someone wronged you, you have to realize that you made yourself vulnerable to this person. You created mistakes yourself to allow someone into your life that ended up hurting you. So there's a responsibility on your own that you have to take. Like, hey, you know, I kind of allowed this situation to happen. You know, like, if 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 someone scanned me in the car... I had to go to this person and trust that he was going to give me the car. I made a mistake in judgment of this person's character. I mean, so, and the forgiveness is not that this guy is an asshole. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm probably never going to see this guy ever again, right? It's for me. I need yes. to say, I need to be able to, you know what? Yeah. I need to be able to just let this yeah, guy go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. no one, if you're hated, you don't feel a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one cares. <laughs> No one who's hated gives a shit. No, they it's the person who hates. Yeah, you know, that that the person who's resentful. Like you know, um, that's the person. Like you, it's it's something. I I've been saying this. Like sometimes you know, being a gym owner in jujitsu, it's so it's so political, man. You know, it's like there's constantly someone trying. Like there's never a day where someone's not going to try to peck at you. You know, like, there's yeah. always someone trying to. And 
And I, and it's over the years, it's like, fuck, man, like, what's the right thing to do here, right? Do you, and I'm like, you know what, man? I just focus on me. I'm going to focus on what I do best and let the chips fall where they may. And I can find, like, it's so much easier to deal with things now because you can't control everything. You can't control what people do. You just got to focus on what you do, do what you like, be happy about it, smile as much as you can, and don't worry about every single little outcome because they're not going to win all fights. But if you sink your teeth into what you really love and you're passionate about and you do it, you know, with, don't try to be ethical along the way. You're not going to be perfect, but do your best. That's it, man. And then, and then, and, and that right there kind of eliminates. It makes the bullshit not as sticky as it could be. When people show throw crap at you, you know, it's kind of like kind of just bounces off, you know. Versus, oh fuck, I got to carry this around too, you know. Um, but I actually learned that in like a lot of these lessons, man. Like I know that that the mats are supposed to be this great life. People stereotype it a lot, like it's this great place to learn lessons, but. I think a lot of it is accurate, man. Like a lot of the problems you're going to have, they, you have those same lessons on the mats. Sure. This is why I'm such a fan of competition, man. Like when I see this, I call it the culture of participation medal. It's a cancer, man. Like you're depriving. You know why I compare it like a child that can't lose? You can't let the child suffer. Don't let them mm. suffer. Yeah. Don't let them cry. It's like depriving a child from developing an immune system. Don't develop an immune system. No, no, no bacteria. We're going to have no bacteria in the world. We're going to have a world with no bacteria. Yeah. That's not going to work, buddy. Yeah. That's not, and, yeah. and I think a lot of like political correctness is an attempt to eliminate bacteria. They're trying to prevent. Like You're going to have these things. Now you can only learn how to deal with them. Well, it's, right? it's really weird uh, because back in the day, if you were liberal, you were all about free speech. Oh, my God. Don't get me started with those. Yeah. And so now it's like we're trying to subvert speech. I, you know? I was just saying this to a student of mine this morning because we were having the same conversation. He goes, I never in my life would have thought that the left would be the one attacking free speech. Because historically, it's always been the opposite. Yes. Progressive have always been the ones battling for free speech. Right? The serious ones, at yeah. least. And, you know, I, I've been a liberal for most of my life. But, like, I can't identify myself with that. I just don't. I just like, well, if that's, that's what you guys, okay, I'm, I'm, whatever you guys are, I'm not. Because I don't, I don't want to be put in that category because I think it's absurd. I think, I think even racist, you should let them speak. Yeah. I want them out. I want them in the spot. I want to find out who they are. Exactly. And then you let, if, if the, the ideas, they're not, and they're not good ideas, I think that most people in the 21st century are going to look at that. And this is anti-scientific. This is dumb. Yeah. You know, but like when you're depriving them from speaking, you're going, oh, maybe they have something to say then. Because why else would you want to shut them up? Yeah. You know, and it's a major attack on freedom. I, I don't, and someone said this to me the other day, like, oh, but you're free to say whatever you want, but you're not free to deal with the consequences, but you're, but you're, but you have to deal with the consequences, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true in the Soviet Union, too. <laughs> yeah. Right? You can yeah. say, I mean, so you, you could, you could attack Stalin. Stalin's a, he's a murderous piece of shit. You could have done that. And then you're going to die in a gulag. Yeah. But you can do, you can say it. It's just that the level of punishment in the West is not the same. So today, if you say something politically correct, you're not going to go to a gulag, but you might destroy your professional career, right? Or something yeah. like that because people will attack you. So it's the level of punishment that has changed. But the PC patrol, like, I see Stalinists, like, commissars, like, like borderline fanatics that cannot handle an opinion that they don't like. You know, and I, I'm, not, I, I'm not one who would say that, oh, hate is good. I don't want to hate. Why would I want to carry it? For the same reason I just gave it. I don't want to carry that around. But if I wanted to, I should be free to hate. Yeah. The state or anyone else is not in a position to determine how I feel. Because if the state is in a position to determine how I feel about hate, it is also in a position to determine how I feel about love. It's in a position to determine how I feel about anything. Yeah. It cannot, no one should have that power. How I feel is up to me. I'm an adult. Right? But what they're trying to do is, oh, you can't feel that anymore. Like, yes, I can. And I should be able to verbalize it if I wanted to. Personally, I think it's a waste of time and energy to attack people for their religion or the color of their skin. I got better things to do with my time and it's anti-scientific anyway. But if I wanted to, you should have the freedom to do it. It's just like 1984. Yeah. Right? Where they discovered that if you're able to control, well, at least the book says it, but I believe that. If you're able to control the vocabulary that people are able to use, yes. you get to control how they think. They double speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wrong think and yeah. this and stuff, yeah. right? So yeah. it's very true. And that's why I tell people like in jiu-jitsu, Learn the names of the moves. Because if you don't know the names of the move, you can't really remember it that well. Yeah. I remember I had an incident once where I was coaching one of my blue belts, and he didn't know a hip over sweep or hip bump yeah. sweep. And he was in a perfect opportunity to do it. I'm like, hip bump, hip bump. And then he looked at me like confused. I was like, oh, this is going to be complicated. Okay, left hand on the mat, 
post your hips up. Yeah. I managed to coach him through it, and then when he won the match with it. And then okay, that's a hip bump. Remember? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. But no, the, the language, the language is important. Like, and this has been a huge gap in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, the, the fact that we've never named anything. Like, and and I meant I, I mentioned this in the book. Like, Jiu Jitsu has always lacked a technical canon, like a, an original curriculum. Like Judo, they establish a curriculum. They they lock it down with a kata, meaning kata. This is our main corpse, right? Yeah. Like this is the main body of what we do. Um, not corpse, but like just the body of what we do. But like after that, they expand into you know what they call creative judo, competitive judo, whatever. But they have a canon that's fixed, right? Brazilian jiu just kind of never had that. It's always been open, which is to its advantage in many ways because by the more open it is, the more welcoming it is to new ideas. That's why yes. it's able to incorporate so much. On the other hand, you have the problem you just described. People don't name anything. You go to every gym around the world, they have like their own names. Like every time like I go to a gym, like Rob, what about the M guard? It's like there's a guard for every like letter in the alphabet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, it's the the guard, you know, Z Y X or whatever. I'm like, I, I can't keep up. Grilled, there's so many letters. Like, grilled chicken guard. I'm like, I what? Can't, I can't deal with this anymore. I mean, you guys it's gotta stop this madness. And then they show me something. It's always like something that's like been around forever. It's like an open guard. It's a De La Hiva. Or it's, it's, it's always something that you've seen a million. It's never something really new, but they're just trying to sell DVD, so they got to brand it as yeah. something, I, which I get. But I think that has hurt jiu-jitsu a lot that we can't agree on, on names. But anyway, that was completely tan total tangent there, Dave. I'm sorry. We were talking about something else, but yeah. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a good point because even myself, yeah. like sometimes like people ask, what's the name of that move? I'm like, fuck. I don't have a name for, I don't have a name for most moves. I just go... <laughs> You know, it makes it, it makes it difficult because a lot of times if you're like trying to describe a move to a friend, it goes like this. Um, how does it go? He goes, oh, that move that so-and-so does. Which one? Oh, that Sweepy does some half guard all the time. Which one? The one he grabs the wrist? Oh, no, the one he, he grabs the waist. Oh, okay. Oh, the one he grabs the waist. He like 50 words to describe the situation. Yes. Whereas if everyone agreed on what we're doing. But think about it this way, though. In the terms of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how could they have established an original canon when they were learning themselves? Like, these guys are not starting as grandmasters. you got to remember. Like, they were learning to. They were incorporating as much as they could. But, I mean, to establish, I mean, maybe there was an original academy. You suppose you could have one in the original Grace Academy curriculum. But it was very limited in comparison, you know. But that's, they're not to blame for that either. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Like, I don't think they could have. I think things happened the way they had to happen. I don't think they could have done anything different. But judo had, like, a different birth. That's why it was able to establish that from the beginning, right? And if you look at it, it hasn't changed that much. The Osotogari was there in the beginning. It's still there right now. It hasn't yeah. really been that modified. I mean, I, I don't think it's been modified at all. I wouldn't know. Outside of competitive judo. Um, but yeah, like I think that the, 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 this, uh, this has hurt jiu-jitsu in a lot of ways, but it's also been helpful and well, as a side effect. Keeping the canon open is super important for creativity to take place. And I would give credit to Eddie Bravo for his unique naming system because he's done he's done well in labeling like but it's kind of good in a way for him because if someone goes, Oh double crackhead control, I, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. But their language <laughs> double crackhead. <laughs> but it's like those are the kind of names it comes up with yeah, like the but, dumbest well, names. There is a crackhead control. Oh, crackhead control? There is a crackhead okay, control. That's great. But I don't know what it is, but yeah. I know it's something. Right? <laughs> that's like zombie. And that's a, but like, but it's kind of genius because in their language, they all understand clearly. Yeah. They're still speaking English, but they're speaking 10th planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it works. But you, have to, you have to be familiar. So they could be coaching that. their guy, and you're oh, in front of them, and you're like, I don't know what the hell he's saying. I, I've had key words with my fighters before. I was like, okay, this is what we're going to call this and that. So your other corner and the other fighter don't pick up on it. Like, yeah. that's smart. You should have your own. I mean, it's not like it's secret. You could probably find out what it is if you want to really be serious about studying your opponent. Yeah. Um, but it, it is definitely helpful. It is definitely helpful if you have that. But at the same time, like, you're going to have to come up with new words because every time there's something new, and there's always new stuff. It's never that different, right? Everything is just an adaptation of something older. But, I mean, think about how many positions belong in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu curriculum. I, I've written a curriculum for, for Zenith, right? I, yeah. I've done it. And, like, I... It, I've, I struggled a lot. Yeah. Because you can't make it too broad. But if you shorten it and make it accessible, this is, you know, a curriculum I can use in class, there's no way you're not leaving out 5,000 moves. Oh, yeah. With all their variations. Like, and it's... And it's a beauty, but at the same time, it's almost like... It's what gives makes the martial arts so interesting, but at the same time, it's like uh, there's no... There's like a very loose order to it, is what I'm saying. It's a very chaotic kind of order. It works in a very chaotic way, 
but it's not very structured is what I'm saying. And it's, I know because I like doing those mind maps and charts and all that. Yeah. Oh, you get lost with those. If I try to put in every move just from like close guard. Oh my God. It's just going to be like a spider web. Like, and if you start studying what other people do that you don't do. Oh, yeah. And then you just like now it goes up exponentially because no one can know everything. Yeah. And so then like if I and then let's say I did the time and I made my spider web. Oh, here's a curriculum. Like, what the fuck you can't is make this? sense of it. It's exactly yeah. too broad. Yeah. And that's exactly the problem I had when I started was like I had to like leave a lot out. So what did I focus on? I try to focus on the most common things. What are the top 10 from Close Guard, for example, right? But again, even then, you're super biased because you're always going to lean towards giving your own top 10. Yeah. Which may not be the actual top 10 because we don't have statistics on all this, so we don't really know, right? So you're giving your impression of what the top 10 from Close Guard are, right? So you're leaving out all, you know, you don't even know what you're leaving out, right? So it's, it's very arbitrary, the whole thing, and it's, the whole thing is very, it's a very weird kind of structure. It's not like most systems, you know? That's kind of goes back to what we've talked about before, which is the nature of mixed martial arts jiu-jitsu it's so technical that it's hard to pin down that's why like if you were to do a system for like basketball it would be a lot easier because there's so many more constraints you don't have as much you know free will in, in basketball like you have to dribble the ball you can't run and carry so like there's a limited amount of movements that you can make i'm, I'm sure it's a lot more complex than i would think it is but at a certain point, it's not. It's like boxing as well. Like boxing is complex, but there's only so much you can do. You have two punches. You have your footwork, yeah. head movement. You know, so it's easier for a spectator to follow. Yeah. It's easier to teach because there's not as much going on. So like boxing, like the higher level boxers just have they focus on those small details a lot better. Where most yeah. people they see the cross, they just see the upper body work. Yeah. You know, the technician has the hips, the legs, and, you know, yeah. moving their weight. But, like, in jiu-jitsu, there's so much you can do that, like, even just with one motion, you can get lost, you know, in the weeds just because there's so many possibilities. So I think it makes it hard to create that, like, as you would say, that perfect curriculum yeah. because it's, it would just be, like, infinitely large, yeah. practically. And, and this is why I have a hypothesis that people with OCD have, they could struggle a lot in martial arts, like especially when like jujitsu, for these reasons, because they like structure. People that have that sort of mindset, like I like, and, and it's hard because you're kind of, you know, it, in, in jujitsu, it's I call it orderly chaos. That's what I call it. That's what you're doing. There's there's an order to it. Like you're trying to pass. Like you don't want to get caught in a triangle. There are rules. Yeah. But they're so flexible. Like every single rule in there. Like sometimes, like oh, you never want to get caught in a triangle. No, sometimes like, you actually that might be the right thing to do. You know, like if I were training with, like, like you training with a guy like Rafael Mendes or Michael Smith, you want to walk in his do Hiva, you're better off like walking in with that over under passage. Like, I'm a big guy. It'd be hard to put me in a triangle. Very odd example, I know, but yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to be like to the extreme here. But my point is, there are like, so many exceptions. You can't really have rule. Like Telly's, look, he's the weirdest guy in the world. He made a career out of giving his back. And I've trained with Telly's. I mean, back in the day, he was murdering people. I'm not going to mention names, but yeah. every single guy on the team was getting tapped by Telly's the same way. And it was like, you can't go to this guy's back. It's the weirdest thing in the world, you know? And so, like, who's going to say he's wrong? You know, like, what's wrong? So it's, it makes it very difficult to create a hierarchy. Like, the closest thing to it are statistics. Because then you can find, like, what are the most common ones, and then you can base your curriculum off of that. Unfortunately, there's very little on it. There's this guy in university in Brazil. I've been talking to him, and he's been collecting a lot of data, and he starts trying to do that. I even talked about, like, maybe cooperating with him, doing something together in the future. Um, where like we can have like a book just on statistics on jujitsu tournaments, because that's the only way you're gonna get close, not perfect, but you get as close as you can to an actual system that is not based off of hype and impressions and fashion. Yeah, it is based off of fact. I always remember that movie Moneyball. You've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go, yeah. Forget what you think, man. You're wrong all the time. I don't care how wise you are, how experienced you are. You're gonna be wrong. Got to look at the numbers. It's the only thing. It's, it's the only thing that's, that's going to come close to the reality of what's happening in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, otherwise you're just going to be biased based on what you're, 100%. What you're looking at. 100%. You know? Because, I mean, I know they've done studies, with, at least with ACC, since it's kind of a very limited set of data, you know, you can get the highest finishing submissions yeah. or whatnot. But, I mean, what, there's been like maybe 10 or 
12 ADCCs. And yeah. so it's not a big... It's a very small pool. Yeah. It's a small pool. And the rules are also somewhat particular. So it excuse, you know, what moves are going to work. Well, I imagine rear naked chokes will be number I, one I, there. I would imagine yeah. that's by far the number one. Entry. Just because of the back take yes. loophole, you know. Yeah. So uh, but IBGF and stuff like that, that would add more value to it. But yeah, I imagine it would be an immense amount of... Of work. of work and it varies from weight class to weight class and yeah. it varies and, and that's what this guy was having problems i was talking about like it varies on the like female division dramatically like and it varies from belt to belt and you have to do specific for every weight class and every belt and gender and age because it varies too like it, and there are some consistencies my guess and i would be willing to put a lot of money on this back is number one where yeah. could choke no gi and bow and arrow in the gi like an arm bar probably a close tie there to those tools too but I mean, but that there's variation. For example, how many De La Hiva sweeps do you think you see in the ultra heavyweight division? <laughs> Close to none, right? The sweeps are going to be completely different, right? And, and in the lightweight division, how many closed guard sweeps do you see? You don't see a lot. They don't play a lot of closed guard. And they, the, the rooster weight division, for they're very open guard oriented, yeah. right? So these numbers are going to... If I were to create a perfect system for teaching, first, I need all that data, which we don't have. doesn't yeah. exist. Second, I would have to have a class per weight, class per gender, per age, per belt rank. That's what I'll have to do. You'd have to have like 12 classes, completely separate. And you have to train them completely differently. That's the, that's the, I don't know if this is true, but I heard in Kodokan in Japan, they have, and they have, I don't, I don't know if it's true. This might be apocryphal. I have no idea. Yeah. But they have rooms for like specializing in each kind of technique. Like they have, they kind of have that separation, right? So yeah, it makes I don't know, sense. I, it's kind of like football, you know, you have, you know, defensive teamwork and you have offensive it's teamwork. It's a different kind yeah. of work. You can't yeah. make them practice the same way. Right. But then you run into the problem of resources. I'm one instructor. I have one small gym. The gym, you know, like gyms are not that profitable. I can't afford to hire a team of experts, like, you know, have eight coaches. And not, we're not the NFL. Yeah. So, but like, if you wanted to get serious about it, and this is why, like, when people think that, you know, this guy's got it down to each other. This guy's like, I mean, we're just scraping the surface. No one's got this down because no one's doing that. Everyone's recipe right now is the same. Go, roll, train, war, which is the most important thing. But we could be channeling all that energy into a more intelligent direction. Like, how do we focus our energy into being the most efficient grapplers we can be? Right now, there's not a lot of that going on. It's all like, go, roll. Because everything, any kind of system or method you try to create, it is entirely based off speculation and assumptions because we don't have data. Yeah. But we can, I mean, we, you can get even further in the weeds because it also depends on the type of person you're going to compete against too, right? Yeah. Like, well, I know, like, I remember one in particular with Masvidal. He was going to fight with Felsen South in Georgia. This is way back, like, you know. And Rafael is short, relatively, compared to George. So I'm, I'm like, George, he's probably going to take you down. If he takes you down, since you're so much longer than him, he has to stand up to pass. There's no way he'll be able to pass your guard. From you. You're yeah. just too tall. So when he stands, we're working flower sweeps, yeah. we're working back sweeps, and worked every time it happened exactly as you predicted yeah, right because yeah. we game plan for that particular guy yeah. right so like that then that's when the fight cams always have been tailored towards the opponent you know but, but this is the problem when people have a too specialized game because everyone this is a common question beginners are asking they go rob should i specialize in one thing or be good at everything and i've always preferred to be good i'm i'm, I'm mediocre at everything like, oh no you're exactly like no, i'm really mediocre at everything but i can do everything with mediocrity Right, like there's, I don't have a lot of holes. Like you can put me almost any position I can hang, but I'm not really great at anything. I always wanted to learn that way because I think it makes you a better teacher. On the other hand, if I'm in a situation like this, like I can, let's say I don't play a lot of half guard, but I got some half guard, but half guard is what I need to know to beat a certain opponent, like what you're describing. I'm going to be a lot faster to adapt to that because I already have a background in that, right? On the other hand, you see some of the best scrappers or best fighters in history, and they're like one-trick ponies, man. Like, you, you look at them, they don't have all... They defend everything well, but offensively, they're very simple. They're very, like, you know, Kale Sanders, an ankle pick. Yamashito, Sotogari. Roger. Dude, Roger's got, like, six moves. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, you can, you can count them. Like, you can, you can count them, like, in two hands. Like, you got maybe ten moves that he does consistently, right? It's very unique. But at the same time, like, if you ever happen to have someone that has your kryptonite, you're not going to have a lot of defenses if you are unable to impose that from the beginning. Right, and that's that happens in fights where people, but there's always like some people in sports or feel like they're so ahead of the competition that they're just so dominant for a short period of time. No one's that dominant for that long, right? But for a short period of time, it's like 
it's almost like they're invincible. You know, like I've, yeah. I've seen that they have like, there is a moment there where you just, you have no rivals and it's very rare. It's rare. And I don't like that, by the way. I think that's very detrimental to the culture when someone is that good. I think it's better that we're in constant competition with each other. That's what advances the game. For sure. Because if I beat you every single time, Dave, you would eventually just stop trying. Yeah. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, there has to be like a, a, a response. There has to be a conflict. In both ways. In both ways. Yeah, because absolutely. you're like, oh, I don't have to change anything. Yeah. I just keep doing what I'm doing. It works. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I, would, I would be a detriment. You would be a detriment. And the overall culture is at a detriment because there's no evolution. There's no, yeah, there's always no like arms race. Like someone like Roger is like, a cross truck always works. Why would you learn something new? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it really is detrimental. But like you occasionally you get someone that's that good. Yeah. And it's a rare, rare occasion, man. And I, I, it's like, yeah, it's mindset. But it's, it's all these things we talked about, man. But there is a genetic component too. It's like the one everyone hates talking about it. But it's so obvious. It's all the combination of all these things and how they relate to one another and your environment. All of that. Yeah, I think now more than, especially like in MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, when, we, when this sport started, like MMA particularly, like in the 90s, the people fighting weren't truly uh, gifted specimens, right? Yeah. I mean, Hoist Gracie is not an uh, athletic freak. Yeah. You know, Keith Hackney and Dan Severin, they were, they were all, you know, fit, but nobody was like... Not Francis Ngannou. Not Francis Ngannou, yeah. yeah. You got a guy like Francis, like, oh... You would throw him in the early UFCs. With he would have no been, training, yeah. and he probably would have done yeah. really well with zero training. Just because <laughs> of that pure physicality yeah. that he has. Yeah. Now you add all the skill and stuff. Like, yeah. You know, like I always say, like, people are like, oh, size doesn't matter. Like, it, it does. It, when, Athletic it, ability. I, I, yeah. I stop seeing size because sometimes size can be a detriment. You sure. can be like a big fat blob and not be able to move, and that's not going to help you. Yeah. You know, it's more like what is your level of athletic ability? Because if you're big and you can hit hard, now yeah, you're dangerous. Just because you're big doesn't mean you hit hard. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that is true. Athletic ability is a better way of phrasing it. Yeah. Somebody with extreme athletic ability will handle a lot of people, even not as technically skilled as him, right? Yeah. So in the beginning, we didn't have many of those, if any. Like, and like Vitor is probably one of the first people that came in the UFC, and he was studying everybody because an 18-year-old kid, yeah. but just built like a freaking Greek yeah, god. You yeah. know? But now the sport has attracted all these athletes because there's more money, there's more yeah. fame. So now if you're trying to come in there like Joe Schmo, like, uh, the, the bar is already set here. Like, you need to be this athletic to ride, and you're here. You know, it's like, sorry, you, we're dealt... An unfortunate hand of cards <laughs> where you're you don't possess the athletic ability to be able to compete yeah you know uh and that's not to say nobody can but it's just much 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 more difficult you have to make up with other things you know it's kind of like that movie that you like to reference uh what's it what is it about <sighs> the one where a guy in the world that everybody genetically enhanced Oh, got it. I got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I fucking You're going to have to have that level of commitment to overcome yes. all these physical advantages oh, man, that you the have. Will. The man is a superhero. His will alone. Yeah, exactly. Like anyone could, I mean, you, you'd you have to be. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes in that But that's a gift too. That's a gift. I, I, think, I, I don't think anyone's equally willed. Well, you remember in that movie, there's a quote uh, that I'm going to butcher. But he was talking to the brother because you remember they do, do this little swim race. Yeah, yeah. And the brother is gifted. And yes. he is not. And he well, he's beats, genetically enhanced. Yeah. yeah. And he beats his brother in a swim and ends up saving him from drowning. And then it's like, how come you're, you're beating me? You know, like he was mentally stronger because he was handicapped. Yes. If I was gifted, I wouldn't have to be as mentally yes. as strong. You, you would know? assume that you were going to win. Yeah, yeah. I would just, yeah. And I'm always supposed to win. It's such a good movie, man. That yeah. movie is good on like many levels. But that goes kind of to the point too. Sometimes being... You know, and we've seen it all the time. Someone who's naturally talented. Yeah, and they don't try as hard. They don't try as hard. I've because, seen it. So, it drives me crazy. Yeah, and I tell people yeah. this all the time. Like, that's why, I, like, who are the most technical people in jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Lightweights. Yeah. Right? They have to try hard. They have to try harder. Because if I'm a big brute, I can, like, just do this and I hurt you. Right? I, I, and, I, and then I know that. So I'm like, oh, that's all I have to do. Yeah. I don't have to, like, go all fancy. I just do whatever I can and I win. When I'm the lightweight, I have to be perfect with my technique to yeah. get a finish or to be successful. So I always have to have that discipline. Yeah. You know, I think there's also a physical component. I think just being that big makes it harder to 
yeah. coordinate your body. You know what I mean? Like we're you're at a detriment. Yeah, and I was like, because I always thought that, but whenever I said it, people look at me like I'm crazy. Because especially because I'm a, I'm a big guy. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, you, I'm the last one to talk, right? So, but I was like, remember the Abu Dhabi once, and I was at Henzo, and Henzo said it. And I'm like, oh, because he said like, jiu-jitsu is harder for big people. Yeah. And everyone like thought he was out of his mind. I'm like, I agree. The bigger you are, or the more athletic for that matter, the harder it is. Because just because you're winning does not mean you're learning. It means you're winning. But what is your purpose here? To feel good or to evolve? Very different things. Yeah. Because if you're just winning, maybe you feel good, but then you know you evolution. Now you're getting your ass kicked. You're not winning, but you're evolving. So when you walk into the gym, you need to answer that question. Am I here to win or to evolve? And they're not always on the same. Sometimes you're winning and evolving, but not always. But if you have that north of evolution, I think the winning is a consequence. Yes. But the thing is, for someone like Francis Ngannou, someone who's incredibly gifted, you have to have an enormous amount of self-awareness to be able to to be continuously learning versus just, you know, uh, uh, um, being able to just bully people around, I'm winning, therefore I am, I am good enough, right, kind of thing. It's a level of humility as a well. A level of humility, yes. yes. And it's a very hard thing to do because you've been winning your whole life. You know, I acknowledge that you're just incredibly gifted and that you, you could be a lot better. This is why to me, like, guys like GSP are so incredible. Like, you know, could be, because I have no doubt they're, like, also genetic freaks, but they have, you can see that he's the kind of guy, I can guarantee you, I don't, I've never met any, I met GSP once, but never met, could be like, but if they were in my gym and I show them move, I can guarantee you they'd be paying attention. Yeah. Because you can see that they're humble enough. They're like, I don't know shit about fuck. Whereas like, you know, the guy who's all, like a lot of these guys that have that talent, it's precisely because they're so talented that it's crippled them because they lack what you said. Yeah. The humility to acknowledge that you're always a student. No, yeah. oh, and uh, I think you look at someone like uh, Nagano, who his origin story, if you will, it, it, it makes it easier to understand why he's so humble. You know, he, he came from... I actually met him, I don't know him that well, but yeah. Well, he had to go through hell to get to... I know, he was like, like a legal immigrant in Europe, right? He had to like cross well, the boat or something. Yeah, they cross the deserts and stuff like that. It was like, oh, it's <laughs> all... Shit. He had a crazy ordeal. Yeah. So like, you know, for him, I imagine he must be here and be... It sounds, from what I heard of the podcast, he's just super grateful all the time. So when you have that gratitude mindset, yeah. it makes life so much easier. You, you know why? Because there's merit. And mm-hmm. merit is... The biggest booster, self-esteem is the most important thing in life, in my opinion, like how you feel about yourself. Because it doesn't matter if you're poor, rich, sick, or not sick, or healthy. It doesn't matter. You're going to feel good about yourself. How do you build self-esteem? Your merit. If Francis Ngannou had been born, you know, living next door to the UFC PI, and he were like Dana White's son, I don't think he would have made it to begin with. And if he did, he'd probably feel like a, a smaller sense of appreciation, humility, and merit. Yeah. Uh, you know, but when you, it's like someone who's born rich. Like, where is the pride and the... the and the, the, the self-satisfaction of making money when you were already born really rich, it probably doesn't feel the same. Where when you're born poor, every person I've known that built themselves up from nothing, they have a sense of self-esteem and confidence that is far superior than the rich little brat who may have more money than him, but he knows deep down he didn't do shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it's much harder, I think. Uh, it's just like being the son of a great athlete. You know, it's like, you have big shoes to fill now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of it, you might think, people from the outside think, oh, he's going to be naturally great because he is, dad is a major champion and all that. But you have that additional pressure now and maybe you don't want to fall in their footsteps or, you know, like, I think it's more difficult. You know, like, it's always difficult to fill someone's shoes, you know, especially when you're expected to. Yeah. You know, because now it's like, oh, I'm being forced into this path, you know, versus... Kind of like when you were inherited a fortune of money, you know, yeah. and without having to really work for it for yourself, God. it's tricky. You know, that's why, like, you have to have a very unique upbringing. Yes, you know, to be able to. Like, I mean, your dad should be. If, you're, if you don't have good parents that will like teach you the value of every dime, it goes south. And I've seen that up close, man. I I, I know people, and yeah. you know, dad thinks it's a great idea to buy him a brand new car when they're eighteen. You know, or whatever. I'm like, oof, this is not going to. It never does. Yeah. Because they don't value anything. You know? It's like I, me handing you a black belt. Like, let's say you never trained before, and I just hand you a black belt. How do you feel about that black belt? What does it mean to you? Yeah, it's like, but if you know you've paid the cost, you've paid your dues, and you've killed yourself to have that position, like, no one can ever take that from you. That sense of pride, you carry it with you from the day you receive your black belt to the day you die, and no one could ever take that away yeah, from you. Yeah, it's a priceless thing. It's a priceless yeah. thing, but it's only valuable because you struggled. Yeah, it's it's so it's the struggle that you have to chase. It's not the reward. I always say that the hard work is the reward, because reward with no struggle 
what does it mean? Yeah, it's, it's There's no meaning. Yeah. Right? You've got it. It's got to be hard. It, it has to be difficult. Right? Um, anyway. Uh, Dave, I think we're past our hour. Yeah. We're all over the place as usual. Yes, sir. Yeah. We, me and Dave, well, I think the first 10 episodes, I think we planned, like, okay, we're going to talk about, we had a list, I think, the first time, with like, like a 10 topics, it's like, and it didn't work from the beginning. It never no, worked. We, we'd start one place and it just... <laughs> yeah, no, it just like the complete tangent. But we just really, literally wing it. I think we normally start with like one topic and we just go over the place. But, yeah. Absolutely. That way. All right. Always a pleasure, man. All right, likewise. We'll see you guys next time. All right, thank you guys. See you mañana. Well, next time. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, like, share, comment, send your feedback, all that good stuff. You can find us at Breaking the Guard on Instagram and Facebook, Breaking Guard on Twitter. And the best place to find us in all different mediums and platforms, go to our website, breakingtheguard.com. It has all of our previous episodes and the videos from YouTube as well as our podcast platforms which were now available i think on pretty much all of them whether you're on spotify podbean uh pandora we're on if we're on the plat if we're not on the platform you like let us know and we'll make sure we get on it a final word from one of our sponsors bjjcradle.com bjjcradle.com is robert's course which is called the drysdale cradle series and it covers how to use the classic wrestling pin, the cradle, in an MMA and jiu-jitsu context. And uh, there's a lot of great ways you can use it, particularly from attacking half guard. I know one of the places that, like, when I do seminars, just past retreat I did in Costa Rica, I had it a bunch of times. How do I beat the shin shield or the china wall? You know, essentially when they create a leg frame from the half guard, it can be very difficult to get around it. And Robert has a great answer. The cradle. A lot of people never even think about it because in jujitsu, pinning doesn't seem to make sense because you don't win the match with a pin like wrestling. So you're just kind of stalling. But if you're a little creative, a little bit smart, like Robert is, you know how to twist things around and find ways to uh, advance your position using these pins. And uh, he passes a guard, he goes into all sorts of submissions from guillotine, darts chokes. Japanese neckties. I also throw in some extra bonus techniques, uh, passing from open guard, from standing, switching, taking a cradle and getting the back from it. Very cool course. And uh, you can check it out at bjjcradle.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get a few sample videos. Of course, I recommend that you order the course so you can get the full action. Uh, You can get the DVD version or you can get the online version. Either way, you'll get access to everything online on our mobile-friendly website. So go ahead, visit bjjcradle.com to learn more.